Well, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're taking a break from our study on Ephesians. We will uh, start that again next week as we consider um, church officers, elders and deacons, who they are and what they're called to and their qualifications. Uh, If you're using the Pew Bible, 1 Timothy 3 can be found on 1,263. Hear now the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good, good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flowers, they will fade away. But the word of our God, it will stand forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for um, the part of your word we're looking at this morning. We ask that you would, by your spirit, give us understanding and give us anointing, Lord. We need you. For this is, these are more than just words on a page. Your word is living and active. So, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, we come again to the time where we nominate men to serve as elders and deacons. Uh, nominations will open up uh, next Sunday and will run through Tuesday, October the 8th. Uh, the handout sheets for the nominations will start going out next week, and we'll have more instructions for that. If you believe the Lord is calling you to serve, then I encourage you to pray hard. And uh, for the rest of us, I, pray, I ask that you would cont- begin to pray hard about whom the Lord would have you to nominate. Um, as a reminder that through that process, those who have not been through the uh, officer training course will be required to do so, and we'll get those scheduled once we see who's going to be in it. Uh, you know, church government, or the technical word is polity, uh, how a church is run, <laughs> is not one of those uh, topics that's exactly seeker-friendly, right? I mean, if, if you're going to try to draw in the crowds, you really want to preach on elders and deacons. Um, but the reality is, it's a really important topic. It really is. Think about this. Think about the difference between one person calling all the shots in a church, especially if that person is 34 years old, young in ministry. Okay, that's a bad idea. Compare that, yeah, Mark is nodding his head over here, by the way. Uh, Compare that to uh, having a team approach. 
that men gather regularly to figure out what the Lord is calling for our congregation and to add experience and insight and different perspectives to things. That's a much better system. And that's, that's the system that, that the Lord has put in His Word. And so while this may not be always the most interesting of topics in terms of you know, doing your devotion on, on a weekly basis, talking about overseers and deacons, it is perhaps one of the most crucial for the long-term health of any congregation. It's vitally important. God has always raised up men to, to lead His church in the Old Testament and the New. Uh, and so he leads and guides and directs his church through men whom the Lord has raised up by the Holy Spirit to serve as under-shepherds and deacons in the local congregation for his glory and for the working out of his kingdom. But we should remember that elders and deacons and the pastor, these people are not the head of the church. And that's a really important thing. Um, that who is the head of First Presbyterian Church It's not... The, the board of deacons, and it's not the board of elders that are list, listed on the back of your bulletin. It is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 tells us this very clearly. It says, He, Christ, is the head of uh, the body, comma, the church. That's pretty clear. There's, there's, there's no wiggle room there. Jesus is the head. And so every church, every congregation, therefore, has some freedom to decide what worship looks like, to decide what time to meet, how frequently to do communion, those sorts of things. But each congregation is not free to do anything that is contrary to the revealed Word of God as the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns in the local congregation. And so it's important that as we consider whom the Lord is putting on our heart to nominate for the office of deacon and elder, that we choose men who will follow that lead of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the headship of Christ over the church is, is not a made-up thing, and it's not just a, a theoretical thing that we think of every once in a while. It, it really does work this way. Uh, do you remember in math uh, imaginary numbers? Do you remember these? I have no clue what they're for. But, you know, we learned them, and we even got tested on them. Uh, but then I've never used an imaginary number ever since, what, ninth grade or whenever it was. So often it can be hard to remember that Jesus Christ is the Lord of this church and the head of this church and the one who guides and the king of this church because we cannot see Him. But the fact remains that God is working through His Holy Spirit to work things all for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist as a church. So the Lord has, uh, has raised up in His Word local leaders through whom He will govern and guide His church. We see the first of these as elder. Now you'll notice in the passage we read that it says overseer. So what's the deal? Are we just pretending like it says elder? Well, no. The Greek word there is episkopos, from which we get the word uh, episcopal or bishop. Later in Scripture, especially in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe, we see here and elsewhere that the, there are three words that are often used interchangeably. Elder, bishop or overseer, and pastor or shepherd. These three words are interchangeable. So these words apply to elders. 
Why is that important? Well, the, the Presbyterian Church has a bit of an unfortunate name, right? Have you ever tried to explain to somebody why we're called Presbyterians? And we know why the Baptists are called Baptists, because they baptize by immersion. That's, that's what sets them apart. Well, what sets us apart? Well, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, and all it means is elder. All it means to be Presbyterian is that we are governed and shepherded by elders. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in later in Titus 1, we have the qualifications and the roles of elders. First, what is the role of an elder? Well, we can really base it down into, or boil it down into four specific or, or overarching areas. And the first one is to shepherd the flock. The, the pastor of the congregation is not the only pastor of the congregation. That's, that's my title. But the session, the group of elders currently serving, we serve together as shepherds and pastors for the flock. That is the number one um, role for the, uh, for the session. The second would be to oversee the flock. So the elders do have to go through administrative and organizational tasks and responsibilities. And elders are responsible for monitoring what's going on in the church to make sure that it, it lines up with the glory of Christ and His rule and reign and headship over the local congregation. The third is to guard the flock. Uh, you know, we are to guard the flock both internally and externally. To, to make sure internally that what is preached from the pulpit and in our Sunday school classes and our youth programs, that these things line up with the Word of God. That we are not having error taught in any one of these sections. But it is also to guard the flock from those outside who would want to come in and cause trouble. Uh, wolves coming in amongst God's sheep. So that is one of our duties. And finally, and I think the hardest, well, I don't know the hardest, but the one that I... I find myself repenting of all the time is to be an example to the flock. Elders are called to be an example to the flock, especially in godliness and holiness, in purity, and an example in zeal for evangelism. That's a tough one. The old line is that as goes the officers, so goes the church. That's a weighty statement, isn't it? A very weighty statement indeed. Well, these are weighty tasks, and so uh, there are qualifications here. And if you look through this list of qualifications, there's really only one that I can think of that has to do with skill, and that is being apt to teach. It probably has more to do with the ability to, to teach what is right rather than being a fantastic orator. All of these things are about character. Competency is important, but biblically, what is so much more important is character. And so we see in this text a very high calling for elders. Now let me be very, very, um, very honest with you. No one, no one, no one fits all these qualifications perfectly. If you find the right elder or deacon, run. Because they're hiding something. And I mean that. Uh, no one is perfect in all of these things. But at the same time, we don't want to remove the high standard for officers in the church. That God uses messes like you and me for His glory. Uh, but He also calls us to a high standard, especially if we are in leadership. Well, first, we can uh, arrange these 
uh, thematically. We won't go through each one individually. There's a sheet outside the church office on the table that has each one of these words clearly defined and what they mean. And so if you'd like one, please take one. First, an elder must be above reproach. That means a, a man must be living in, living in such a way that he is above accusations. One commentator put it this way. If you were to put a man's name and face on a billboard and ask for complaints, you wouldn't have very many. <laughs> or you wouldn't have any major ones. Uh, actually, there was a church in Birmingham that did this. It wasn't a Presbyterian church, but they had elders. And they took out a full-page ad in the Birmingham News and had the names, contact information, and pictures of every one of their elder candidates. And said, if you have anything against any of these men, please call the church. That's pretty serious, right? Um, it's to be someone above reproach. That's not to say there's no sin in his life, but there's no open and flagrant unrepentant sin. That he's not a, 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 that he's not a recent convert liable to get um, a big head because of the responsibility that he has. He should be well thought of by outsiders and respectable in the community. I think a good measure of that might be what is a, what is a person's employees, what, what do the employees or the employers or, or fellow workers say about this person? Um, you know, if, if an elder is meant to set an example and zeal for evangelism, would folks listen when he spoke? Secondly, an elder is meant to have godly relationships. Uh, you know, as an elder shepherds and counsels, admonishes and rebukes and teaches and leads, it is paramount that he is a man who is approachable and godly as he relates to the people. Um, you know, the best way to see if this is true is to look um, at how he relates to those he's already in relationships with. We see this in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Those are, that's a high standard. Right? As, as men, as we lead our, our, our families, we're always going to fail. Not always, hopefully. We're often going to fail. We're often going to uh, stumble and make mistakes. But are we setting before our children the, the Word of God, the importance of walking with Jesus? In fact, one of the qualifications from Titus is that his children be believers. I think this is especially true for those who's, who have children still in the household, right? still under their, their, their roofs. There's not a whole lot we can do once our children are outside of our homes. But especially if they're under his homes, are they walking with Jesus? Are his children free of the charge of debauchery? But in the context of relationships, is he a, a one-woman man? A one-woman man. Is he committed to his wife? And does he treat her well? Is he demanding, short-tempered, and angry all the time? Or is he gentle and committed to his spouse, his wife? You know, a man who speaks ill of his wife in public will speak ill of the flock as well. Okay. Third, an elder must be a man of blameless conduct. And so we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, uh, seven positive and six negative qualities that must define or not define an elder in Christ's church. This doesn't mean that he doesn't struggle with any of these, because these rather run the gamut of most of our sins. Uh, but they are ones that would make sure that this individual is not defined by uh, and is fighting temptation. 
First, the positive ones. He must be a sober-minded man, which means that he responds well in difficult situations. Is he self-controlled? That's an important one as we deal in in the session meetings about difficult things. Is he self-controlled? Will he listen? Is he a lover of good or does he love evil? Is he upright and just? We don't need partiality in the church. Is he able to make um, impartial decisions? Is he holy or devout? And is he disciplined when it comes to spiritual matters? And is he gentle? That's an important one, isn't it? As shepherds are tasked with dealing with difficult topics and often having difficult conversations, how we approach those things are so important. So elders must be gentle as they deal with God's people. What are the negative ones here? Negatively, he's a man who must be free of charge of being violent. He must not be a drunkard. Now, it's okay to drink in moderation. That's not what the text says. But we must not be drunkards, addicted to much wine. A lover of money is an arrogant man or quick-tempered or quarrelsome. These are unhelpful things in any officer, but here an elder. Finally, as we think about elders, uh, he must be a man of faithful witness and ministry. What does that mean? Well, first it means, is he already doing the work to which he's called? That's the best thing to look for. Does this person have this calling on his life? And are there elements of this already at play? Is he a shepherd of of his relationships he's already in? One of the big things that separates the diaconate from the session in terms of qualifications is that only elders are, are called to be apt to teach. Now that does not mean that an elder has to know the, the New Testament in its Greek and how to parse each individual word. But this does mean that an elder needs to be able to fill in on a Sunday morning for, for Sunday school and that he is able to clearly and especially correctly Uh, explain the basic tenets of what we believe. Finally, is he hospitable? Does he welcome strangers and others in his home? And does he know the word and the gospel? Does this person basically have a vibrant relationship with Jesus? Certainly someone who is called to the office of elder or deacon both must already have a proven track record of pursuing Jesus and knowing his word. Well, the picture we get from Paul here is that elders are called to be men of God who have walked with God for many years with a proven track record when it comes to character, godliness, and service. You know, ultimately, elders are meant to mirror the character, godliness, and service of our true shepherd, Jesus, the true shepherd of the sheep. But what about deacons? What are they, and, and what's the difference here? You know, whereas the office of elder is found in the old, both the Old and New Testament, uh, the office of deacon is one that is expressly found only in the New Testament. There are um, glimpses of this in the Old Testament. We see this with the tabernacle. You remember you had the, the priests who were in charge of, of the service of the Lord, but then you had other folks who were to be helpers with logistics, who would take down the temple or the tabernacle and and move everything and help organize things and have charge over things. And so even in the Old Testament, you have glimpses of what is to come with the office of deacon. But the office of deacon came especially out of a specific historical situation. So if you will, turn to Acts chapter 6. 
Acts chapter 6, where we see the founding of the diaconate, or the board of deacons. If you're using your pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1163. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, tells us this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, uh, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." Well, what just happened? Well, as the, as the church in Jerusalem grew, uh, it, it grew to a point where it outgrew its organizational structure. In particular, there were widows who were relying on the daily distribution of food, not just for a good meal, but for food at all. And as more and more people became believers, the need outstripped the logistics that were already in place. The old line is thinking of a trellis and a vine. A vine grows on a trellis. And at some point, if the vine outgrows the trellis, it gets unhealthy. And it has to either be trimmed or you've got to add more trellis. And so here we have the adding of more trellis to give more structure to the growing vine that is the church of Christ. But let's be clear before we launch into this. In some churches, not necessarily this one, but in some churches, the office of deacon is seen as a stepping stone to the office of elder. Um, I I know certainly in the church I grew up in, that was the case. You you could not serve as an elder unless you'd put your time in as a deacon. And that's not a biblical idea. The office of deacon is not any lesser than the office of elder. It is a different office. It is a vitally important office office. And if we didn't have our deacons at this church, y'all, we'd be in a world of hurt. If we got rid of the elders, you probably wouldn't notice it for a couple weeks. But if we got rid of the deacons, we'd be, we wouldn't have any donuts and we'd hear about it the first thing. <laughs> they do a lot more than donuts. Um, you know, the role of deacon is a highly dignified and a very, very important role in the church. Um, it's not a consolation prize. It's not. Some churches it's treated like that. I hope it's not here. Uh, But it is vital to the growth and the health and the well-being of a congregation. Why is that? Well, it's because their role is so important. As we see in Acts chapter 6, deacons are called to help those who are in need. That's their first first role. They are to search out for ways of the church to help 
They are to monitor the congregation, those who are sick and those who are homebound, to make sure that they're doing okay. This is not just a physical role, it is a spiritual role within the congregation. It is spiritual care. They are called to develop the gift of liberality. That's an old word. It means generosity. They are to develop generosity amongst God's people as they find needs within the community, within the church. Uh, They are to help us as a congregation to open up our pocketbooks and to help in those Therefore, they are to collect and distribute the funds and finally to care for the property of the church. You know, this is especially important in our congregation, right? We have a, a wonderful and historic building. But y'all, our deacons have been really busy over the last several months tending to, to issues at our, at our church. And I, I want to thank them for doing that. They've done an outstanding job. So what about the qualifications of deacons? Well, the qualifications of deacons are just as high as that of elders. There are a few things that are different because it is a slightly different role, things that particularly pertain to deacons. The first thing, a deacon must be a dignified man of good repute or reputation. Just like elders have to have a good reputation in the community, so do deacons. In fact, it might be more important For the deacons to have a high um, reputation in the community because it is a much more visible role. So much of what elders do is behind uh, doors and in meetings and in sensitive interactions with people in the church. Uh, But the deacons, their role is much more visible as we interact with the community around us with needs and as we interact with needs within the congregation. It's vitally important that deacons have a good reputation. And therefore, they are not to be double-tongued Or that is to say one thing and do another. Just like the elders, we read that they are not to be drunkards or greedy. Again, that's not saying you can't drink. There's a big difference between drinking and being a drunkard. And since they are to have distribution of the money, charge of it, especially to the poor and those in need. I like this line. I got it from somebody else. Their hands should neither be sticky or stingy. I like that. Sticky or stingy. Both, Both would be bad things. But similar to the elders, we find that they must be men of God. You know, the the office of deacon deals a lot of physical things, but that doesn't mean it's not a spiritual office. If it were just a matter of logistics, we could hire out, right? Think about all the companies that we could hire and come and do things that the deacons do. It's It's not as simple as that. Deacons can't be replaced by robots or folks who don't know Jesus or folks who don't have a a part of this congregation. It is a spiritual office of leadership. And so they must be men of God who love the Lord and full of the Spirit. That's not a phrase we find of, of, uh, of elders, though I hope they are. But specifically, deacons are said that they must be full of the Spirit. As one commentator has put it, their lives are directed by God's Spirit so that they are spiritually sensitive and able to make good judgments, which is a sign of spiritual maturity. And because of all the difficult decisions they must make, they must be men full of wisdom. Knowledge comes from books, but wisdom comes from walking with the Lord. And deacons are called to walk deeply with Jesus. As they gain wisdom, they are to hold fast to the mystery of the faith. That means they know how they know the Word of God and how to apply it. Um, Thirdly, they must be proven and tested men. As with elders, as you pray through different and potential candidates, I encourage you to 
to ask the question, is this man a tested and proven man? Generally, the best candidates are those who are already doing the work. You know, a lot of times serving is, is just showing up, right? I mean, that's got to be 70% of leadership is showing up. And it, does this person have a record of, of showing up and, and serving? Just like elders, does he manage his household and children well? We read about this in 1 Timothy three twelve. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. Um, indeed, the same philosophy holds true. The deacon is to love and cherish his wife and manage things well at home. For that's the closest analog in the world to the local congregation. And finally, he must be a man with a godly wife. He doesn't have to be married, but if he is married, he must have a godly wife. Um, you know, all commentators, this is only mentioned of deacons, by the way, but all commentators would say this also applies to elders as well. Uh, we see this in verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I was in a church once, not this one, not the one I was a part of before this. Um, they brought in a, a guy to interview for youth pastor. Uh, he was been to seminary. He'd spent three and a half years and boo of money getting trained. and They loved the guy. And then they brought in his wife. And he was disqualified. Uh, that's a bad thing, right? Uh, the call to be an officer of the church is not just for the husband. The husband is the one who is the officer, but it is a team approach as well. Together, walking and loving the Lord. Well, um, good to see that no one here is qualified for this. Uh, right? So we're not going to have nominations this year. Uh, and I'll step down. Uh, right, because no one is fully qualified. Right? No one is fully qualified. There are no perfect elders. There are no perfect deacons. Uh, and I'll repeat it. If you find the right one, if you find that one who is perfect, who has no sin in his life, then, uh, then reconsider your nomination. Because we all are a mess. And this is the gospel, right? That Jesus saves us not because of our goodness or our ability to line up within the lines. He saves us because of his love for us and because we've done the exact opposite. He has pursued us when we are messes. And all he uses, all he has to work with are messy people. That's all he's got. That's you and me. And so as we pray through this thing, as we pray through whom the Lord would call to be officers in our congregation, seek the Lord deeply. Pray for your current officers that the Lord would use us for, your, for His glory and our good. Because our role ultimately is to point us all to the true shepherd, the true deacon, the true servant, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we seek to follow His example of leadership in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which says, He came not to be served, to deacon. That, that word literally is deacon. He came not to, to, to be deaconed, to be served, but to deacon, to serve. Why? Because He loves you, so that He might give His life as a ransom for many. This is what our great shepherd our great big brother, our, our true elder has done for us, laid down his life for us. Praise be to God that he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, equipping your church with elders and deacons. Uh, Father, I thank you for the elders and deacons that you have called to serve here at the church. 
We pray for them and we pray, Father, for the process of nominations that you would raise up uh, men whom you would have us uh, to, uh, to raise up uh, and that you would bless our congregation greatly. We thank you for the death and burial, ascension, the resurrection, the blood of our Savior, the true shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.